Chapter 45, Part 4 of Struggles and Triumphs, or Forty Years' Recollections of P.T. Barnum, written by himself. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Linda Marie Nielsen, Vancouver, B.C. Struggles and Triumphs of P.T. Barnum, Chapter 45, My Story Chapter, Part 4. I have often heard Mr. Day relate the following anecdote. A young couple called on him one day at his house in Greenfield. They informed him that they were from the southern portion of the state and desired to be married. They were well-dressed, made considerable display of jewelry, and altogether wore an air of respectability. Mr. Day felt confident that all was right, and, calling in several witnesses, he proceeded to unite them in the holy bonds of wedlock. After the ceremonies were concluded, Mr. Day invited the happy pair, as was usual in those days, to partake of some cake and wine. They thus spent a social half-hour together, and, on rising to depart, the bridegroom handed Mr. Day a twenty-dollar bank note, remarking that this was the smallest bill he had, but if he would be so good as to pay their hotel bill, they had merely dined and fed their horse at the hotel, he could retain the balance of the money for his services. Mr. Day thanked him for his liberality and went at once to the hotel with the lady and gentleman and informed the landlord that he would settle their bill. They proceeded on their journey, and the next day it was discovered that the bank note was a counterfeit and that Mr. Day had to pay nearly three dollars for the privilege of marrying this lovely couple. The newspapers in various parts of the state subsequently published facts which showed that the affectionate pair got married in every town they passed through, thus paying their expenses and fleecing the clergyman by means of counterfeits. One of the deacons of Mr. Day's church asked him if he usually kissed the bride at weddings. Always was the reply. How do you manage when the happy pair are Negroes? was the deacon's next question. In all such cases, replied Mr. Day, the duty of kissing is appointed to the deacons. My grandfather was a universalist, and for various reasons, fancied or real, he was bitterly opposed to the Presbyterians in doctrinal views though personally some of them were his warmest and most intimate friends. Being much attached to Mr. Day, he induced that gentleman to deliver a series of Sunday evening sermons in Bethel, and my grandfather was not only on all these occasions one of the most prominent and attentive hearers, but Mr. Day was always his guest. He would generally stop over Monday and Tuesday with my grandfather, and, as several of the most social neighbors were called in, 
they usually had a jolly time of it occasionally mine host would attack mr day good-naturedly on theological points and would generally come off second best but he delighted although vanquished to repeat the sharp answers with which mr day met his objections to the confession of faith one day when a dozen or more of the neighbors were present and enjoying themselves in passing around the bottle relating anecdotes and cracking jokes my grandfather called out in a loud tone of voice which at once arrested the attention of all present friend day i believe you pretend to believe in foreordination to be sure i do replied mr day well now suppose i should spit in your face what would you do inquired my grandfather i hope that it is not a supposable case responded mr day for i should probably knock you down that would be very inconsistent replied my grandfather exultingly for if i spat in your face it would be because it was foreordained i should do so why then would you be so unreasonable as to knock me down because it would be foreordained that i should knock you down replied mr day with a smile the company burst into laugh in which my grandfather heartily joined my father as well as my grandfather was very fond of a practical joke and he lost no occasion which offered for playing off one upon his friends and neighbors in addition to his store tavern and freight wagon business to norwalk he kept a small livery stable and on one occasion a young man named nelson beers applied to him for the use of a horse to ride to danbury a distance of three miles nelson was an apprentice to the shoemaking business nearly out of his time was not overstocked with brains and lived a mile and a half east of our village my father thought it would be better for nelson to make his short journey on foot than to be at the expense of hiring a horse but he did not tell him so we had an old horse named bob having reached an age beyond his teens he was turned out in a bog lot near our house to die he was literally a living skeleton much in the same condition of the yankee's nag which was so weak his owner had to hire his neighbor's horse to help him draw his last breath my father in reply to nelson's application told him that the livery horses were all out and he had none at home except a famous racehorse which he was keeping in low flesh in order to have him proper trim to win a great race soon to come off oh do let me have him uncle phil my father's name was philo but as it was the custom in the region to call everybody's uncle or aunt or squire or deacon or colonel or captain 
my father's general title among his acquaintances was uncle phil i will ride him very carefully and not injure him in the least besides i will have him rubbed down and fed in danbury said nelson beers he is too valuable an animal to risk in the hands of a young man like you responded my father nelson continued to importune and my father to play off until it was finally agreed that the horse could be had on the condition that he should in no case be ridden faster than a walk or slow trot and that he should be fed four quarts of oats at danbury nelson started on his rosinate looking for all the world as if he was on a mission to the carrion crows but he felt every inch a man for he fancied himself astride of the greatest racehorse in the country and realized that a heavy responsibility was resting on his shoulders for the last words of my father to him were now nelson if any accident should happen to this animal while under your charge you could not pay for the damage in a lifetime of labor old bob was duly oated and watered at danbury and at the end of several hours mr beers mounted him and started for bethel he concluded to take the great pasture road home that being the name of a new road cut through swamps and meadows as a shorter route to our village nelson for the nonce forgetting his responsibility probably tried the speed of his racehorse and soon broke him down at all events something occurred to weaken old bob's nerves for he came to a standstill and nelson was forced to dismount the horse trembled with weakness and nelson beers trembled with fright a small brook was running through the bog at the roadside and beers thinking that perhaps his racehorse needed a drink led him into the stream poor old bob struck fast in the mud and not having strength to withdraw his feet quietly closed his eyes and like a patriarch as he was dropped into the soft bed that was awaiting him and died without a single kick no language can describe the consternation of poor beers he could not believe his eyes and vainly tried to open those of his horse he placed his ear at the mouth of poor old bob but took it away again in utter dismay the breath had ceased at last nelson groaning as he thought of meeting my father and wondering whether eternity added to time would be long enough for him to earn the value of the horse took the bridle from the dead head and unbuckling the girth drew off the saddle placed it on his own back and trudged gloomily towards our village it was about sundown when my father espied his victim coming up the street with a saddle and bridle thrown across his shoulders his face wearing a look of the most complete despair my father was certain that old bob had departed this life 
and he chuckled inwardly and quietly but instantly assumed a more serious countenance poor beers approaching more slowly and mournfully than if he was following a dear friend to the grave when he came within hailing distance my father called out why beers is it possible you have been so careless as to let that racehorse run away from you oh worse than that worse than that uncle phil groaned nelson worse than that then he has been stolen by some judge of valuable horses oh what a fool i was to entrust him to anybody exclaimed my father with well-feigned sorrow no he ain't stolen uncle phil said nelson not stolen well i am glad of that for i shall recover him again but where is he i'm afraid you haven't lamed him worse than that drawled the unfortunate nelson well what is the matter where is he what ails him asked my father oh i can't tell you i can't tell you said beers with a groan but you must tell me returned my father it will break your heart groaned beers to be sure it will if he is seriously injured replied my father but where is he he's dead said beers as he nerved himself up for the announcement and then closing his eyes sat in a chair completely overcome with fright my father groaned in a way that startled nelson to his feet again all the sensations of horror intense agony and despair were depicted to the life on my father's countenance oh uncle phil uncle phil don't be too hard with me i wouldn't have had it happen for all the world said beers you can never recompense me for that horse replied my father i know it i know it uncle phil i can only work for you as long as i live but you shall have my services till you are satisfied after my apprenticeship is finished returned beers after a short time my father became more calm and although apparently not reconciled to his loss he asked nelson how much he supposed he ought to owe him oh i don't know i am no judge of the value of blood horses but i have been told they are worth fortunes sometimes replied beers and mine was one of the best in the world said my father and in such perfect condition for running all bone and muscle oh yes i saw that said beers despondently but with a frankness that showed he did not wish to deny the great claims of the horse and his owner well said my father with a sigh as i have no desire to go to law on the subject we had better try to agree upon the value of the horse you may mark on a slip of paper what sum you think you ought to owe me for him and i will do the same we can then compare notes and see how far we differ 
i will mark said beers but uncle phil don't be too hard with me i will be easy as i can and endeavor to make some allowance for your situation said my father but nelson when i think how valuable that horse was of course i must mark something in the neighborhood of the amount of cash i would have received for him i believe however nelson that you are an honest young man and are willing to do what you think is about right i therefore wish to caution you not to mark down one cent more than you really think under the circumstances you ought to pay me when you are able and for which you are now willing to give me your note of hand you will recollect that i told you when you applied for the horse that i did not wish to let him go nelson gave my father a grateful look and assented to all he said at least a dozen of our joke-loving neighbors were witnessing the scene with great apparent solemnity two slips of paper were prepared my father marked on one and after much hesitation beers wrote on the other well let us see what you have marked said my father i suppose you will think it is too low replied beers handing my father the slip of paper only three hundred and seventy-five dollars exclaimed my father reading the paper well that is a pretty specimen of gratitude for you nelson was humbled and could not muster sufficient courage to ask my father what he had marked finally one of our neighbors asked my father to show his paper he did so he had marked six and a quarter cents our neighbor read it aloud and a shock of mirth ensued which fairly lifted beers to his feet it was some time before he could comprehend the joke and when he became fully aware that no harm was done he was the happiest fellow i had ever seen i might fill a volume with these reminiscences of my younger days but turning once more to my foreign notebooks i find material there which seems to claim a place in this story chapter i am never tired of telling and laughing at some of my mishaps and adventures in trying to use the french language when i first went abroad it was no unusual thing to travel half a day in a diligence or in the cars with some englishmen as i would afterwards discover both of us doing our best to make ourselves intelligible to each other in french till at last in despair one of the other would utter the conventional conundrum parlez-vous anglais why of course i am an american or an englishman and then a mutual roar would follow american or english or dutch french is generally quite a different thing from french french thus i could always understand the dutchman who spoke to me in french in amsterdam and i may add they could perfectly understand me we spoke the same patois i wrote 
to my wife i remember from amsterdam that i found they spoke much purer french in that city than in paris once on arriving in paris at the station of the northern railway i with other passengers was in the room devoted to the examination of baggage among the rest was a party consisting of a new york merchant and his wife with their daughter a young lady of eighteen who was at once volatile and voluble undoubtedly she had spoken the best madison avenue school french for five years or more and with this she fairly overwhelmed the official interpreter who was present after hearing her for full five minutes the interpreter gravely asked do you speak english miss certainly was the reply well speak english then if you please for i can understand your english better than i can your french i was one evening at the house of my friend mr john nemo in paris and while waiting for him and his family to return from the theatre was entertained for an hour or more by two very agreeable young ladies to whom i made such reply in french from time to time as i could at last came the inevitable inquiry as to the capacity of the young ladies in the english language why bless us mr barnum was the reply we are scotch governesses who are here in paris simply to learn french the last time i went from france to england arriving late at night i stopped in dover at the hotel nearest the custom house so as to look after my luggage next day ringing my bell early in the morning for shaving water half asleep i called out to the serving-maid for la o chaude please sir was the reply i do not speak french nor i either said i promptly just bring me some hot water if you please but some of the english have a queer way of speaking their own language and the cockney's management of what he would call the haspirate is sufficiently familiar crowding into exeter hall london at an entertainment one evening i heard the usher just before me shouting out seats as he looked at the checks in this fashion letter ha first row letter half sixth row letter he fifth row letter high ninth row and so on seeing that my own check was l i showed it to him and quietly inquired where do i go usher you go to hell was the prompt response which was not intended to be either profane or impolite but i must bring the story-telling chapter an episode in the narrative of graver events in my autobiography to a close and discourse of seaside park and waldemere 
End of chapter 45, part 4. Recording by Linda Marie Nielsen, Vancouver, B.C.